Hello, everyone. I'm Bobby Franklin, and welcome back to NVCA's Venture Capital Podcast, where the O in capital stands for Capitol Hill, where NVCA advocates for policies that support the U.S. startup ecosystem. As students embark on a new school year, we wanted to focus an episode on how the startup ecosystem is enhancing education and workforce development around the country and talk about what policies should be in place to boost VC investment in this important area. To start us off, I want to welcome NVCA Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Justin Field. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Really appreciate it. So, Justin, education and workforce development, it's something that you and I have talked about and we've worked on here in the office. What are the biggest factors that shape our country's education and workforce systems? Yeah, Bobby, it's a really exciting issue area, I think, for us to be able to get a chance to work. And I think one of these things where, where we can show the power of venture capital investment, not just in terms of GDP and economic growth, but in terms of the impact of, of the tools that are created here in both the education system as well as workforce development. You know, on, on education, we could not have gone through a period of time where we saw that technology is more important than what we saw in the pandemic. And I had one of our education investors tell me that they made a decade's worth of progress getting technology to school systems in, six, in the first six months of the pandemic because the need was there. And, you know, it led me to think about, goodness, how much further behind would we be right now if we didn't have those tools that were already being built at the time the pandemic hit? Workforce development is a particularly interesting one right now because a lot of what's going on in Washington, we can touch on that in a little bit. But broadly speaking, what we have here is as we're transitioning from this manufacturing economy to digital and service-based economy, the way that people are going to be competitive in the modern economy is going to be through skill development. And not just, hey, I'm going to go to college and get a degree and that's going to, those skills are going to last me for 30 years, but I need to be able to refresh and enhance my skills every five, every 10 years in order to keep up with the pace of innovation in the global economy. And the interesting thing about this is when you look at kind of where their coalition in Washington is in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, workforce development education is at the core of this, right? Whether it's access to economic opportunity, whether it's the strategic competition with China, or whether it's even, you know, what we can do to deploy climate technology to combat the climate crisis. All these things are going to take significant amounts of skills and skilled labor throughout the economy, throughout regions and communities to get this accomplished and to make sure it's done in a more broad-based way than what we've seen kind of how technology has been built over the past. So you just pointed out industries are in dire need for skilled workers throughout the nation. States are partnering with businesses and nonprofits to help upgrade the skills of current workers and train potential workers for the available jobs that are out there, as we know, in droves. So how is the venture industry helping to improve this system? One of the great value adds that venture brings to the American economy, and that is that they are building the tools and the technologies that are going to be needed to facilitate the connection between those who have the skills and are willing to teach it and those who need the skills. And especially to do that, I know you've been talking about this for a long time, including founding Venture Forward as a way to try to drive more inclusive engagement with the startup community. But that's exactly what this stuff is going to be doing. It's going to be, you know, how can we leverage technology so that we have, for instance, cyber people in Boston who, who know what's going on and, and have tools that they can provide to those in other parts of the country that may have the initiative and want to put in the effort to get better, but may not have access to that level of skills in that region or community. 
And the way that we can do that is you don't have to show up in Harvard anymore. You don't have to show up in person. You can do this stuff over the internet. And I think we've learned that, right? Even right here at NVCA, right? We're on a partial work schedule now. And I think that's what people are beginning to, to realize. We don't have to do all of this in person to succeed. And therefore, the way that we can expand economic opportunity in this country is by leveraging these tools and technologies to get access to those skills out of just the major technology centers into more regions and communities in the country. And VCs are going to play an important role in that. Speaking of Washington, look, we have just witnessed some significant legislative accomplishments and big legislative packages, several of them, over the past year. Talk a little bit about what Washington has done that's going to help boost VC investments in education and workforce development. Yeah, this is really a critical point in time on a range of different issues, but in particular, education and workforce development policy. If you look at the three major packages that passed this Congress, each one of them is a pretty generational size package, the $550 billion bipartisan infrastructure law that has you know dozens of technology programs in it. The science and chips package, which is almost as much a workforce development package as it is a science and semiconductor package. And now the reconciliation package that, that brought a lot of the climate technology programs. Each of them have tools and have priorities of saying, not only do we want to finance the research and development and the scaling of, of frontier technology, but we want to support the growth of a U.S. workforce that can actually build this stuff out. Right. We know that right now there's not enough people that have the technical skills necessary to do a lot of this. And it's only going to be through innovative and novel programs, many of them that are going to be designed by our by portfolio companies that our members back, that we're going to be able to achieve the goals of these packages, most of which, you know, two of the three which were passed on a bipartisan basis. I think Washington has woken up to the fact that the current system's not working very well. And that there's a real need for new models to bring to bear on these issues. And venture capital and venture capital-backed companies are right at the heart of what those new models may look like. The, the experimentation, the hard work to try to figure out where is their need, where is their product market fit, what are better ways to build the mousetrap, if you will. Well, and maybe just the last question, Justin, when we think about currently when there are so many people looking for workers and and thinking about the size of the labor force versus the amount of jobs that are out there, how can we expand the labor force with workforce preparation? I think it goes to the core of the economic opportunity aspect of this, right? One of the big challenges the U.S. economy has had over the last 40 years is, a, is an expanding low-skill labor pool. And what that means is that those are folks that are all going to be competing for the same lower-wage, lower-benefit jobs. Because we are moving to this new economy where, where it's a digital service-based economy and skills are going to be at the core of every worker's ability to bargain for more compensation, for better benefits, et cetera, we've absolutely got to find ways to get access to these skills out of the major tech centers and, and into more regions and communities of the country. And so what we see here is if you take, for instance, you know, say some of the programs from the Chips and Science Bill, which are trying to encourage greater access to workforce develop technology-focused workforce development in rural areas. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they know that those rural areas, they can give workers who currently are in the low-skill labor pool an ability to 
create leverage for themselves if they have skills that are in demand. You said it perfectly. The companies are already looking for this. They're desperately looking for this. They've been, they've been looking for a more significant, medium, higher skill labor pool for decades now. But now we have a moment in time where there actually are a number of programs that are being built to try to meet the moment at the same time that the venture capital ecosystem is building a lot of companies that could create the tools necessary to expand access to these skills. Justin Field, Senior Vice President here at NVCA for Government Affairs. Thank you so much for joining us today on Venture Capital. Well, my pleasure and uh, obviously hope to come back on sometime soon. I would like to introduce you to Malvika Bhagwat, Partner and Head of Outcomes at Al Ventures. She also leads the creation of Al's annual Education Outcomes Report and Al Insights, making her the perfect guest for this episode. Malvika, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Malvika, let me start by just asking you how and why is the U.S. startup ecosystem uniquely positioned to help enhance education and workforce development across the country? As you know, as technological breakthroughs are rapidly shifting, the frontier between the work performed by humans and those performed by machines and algorithms, the global workforce markets are undergoing major transformations right now. And we're seeing a few different things happening. So one is, and these are just stats, but I, I think they're interesting, which is it is estimated that over half the jobs that will likely exist in 2030 do not exist today. And that 375 million workers, which is about 14% of the global workforce, may need to transition or upskill by 2039. That's roughly in the next 20 years. And that's 14% of the global workforce that we're talking about. The other thing that we're seeing is that individuals are seeking digital tools to help them gain the skills that they need to secure long-term employment. So they're not just relying on employers, but they themselves are going out and seeking opportunities. And finally, there's this growing market for individuals who are switching careers and seeking digital tools to help them gain the skills that they need to remain relevant in today's economy as well. And as we see these increasing changes in the global economy, we have also seen this rapid shift of resources moving towards online training. Just to name a few, I mean, there are lots of leading companies such as Amazon, Accenture, AT&T, JP Morgan, who have committed billions of dollars to retain their employees. And I believe the number is about $1.5 trillion that gets spent towards learning and development in the workforce. So from our perspective, the need for reskilling and upskilling opportunities has never been higher. And we've invested in several companies that do just that. I mean, if you think of Degree that's focused on employee development in the context of the workforce or SV Academy, which is a sales training bootcamp for folks to go to the bootcamp and then get a job or Verkera, which is specifically focused on this problem of AI and AI skills that don't exist right now. And then interplay learning, which is kind of focused on this HVAC training through VR simulations to help the blue and gray collar workers kind of get upskilled as well. There's just so many technological innovations that are happening today that fit right into addressing a lot of these problems that we think that startup is not the only player, but it's definitely one of the key players in this system to kind of help enhance education and workforce development across the country today. You know, you touched on it, but let me ask this. As workforce needs shift, education systems are aligning their programs to meet the needs of industries. How is this evolving and what roles are startups playing? 
higher education institutions are constantly looking for ways to innovate and help the students gain the skills they need to succeed and secure jobs in this rapidly changing global economy of the 21st century, right? And they need to because there's this growing sentiment in the U.S. where nearly half of the U.S. families want alternatives to traditional four-year colleges. And a different national survey recently showed that about 71% of employers said that online credentials were equal to or almost better than those earned through traditional means. So there is this urgency that's been created where higher ed institutions need to innovate and there is benefit in partnering with sort of the startup ecosystem. It's unsurprisingly university partnerships with OPMs, boot camps, and MOOCs are growing at this record speed with a significant jump in 2020 when a greater number of higher education institutions acted on this immediate need for digital services and delivery because of the pandemic. Because startups are well positioned to support universities and higher ed institutions in these goals to like expand their reach to all learners via online modalities of learning at lower costs and help students graduate with job ready skills through these partnerships, we think that startups are kind of, again, playing this crucial role in helping higher education institutions evolve themselves and sort of redesign themselves to find these partnerships that can help the student population get the ROI on investment that they're looking for. And one of my favorite examples is a company called Labster from our portfolio during the pandemic. So Labster, just for those of you that don't know, they deliver STEM courses via VR. So that's a virtual science lab. So people can be sitting anywhere and like kind of doing these science experiments and learning and completing their science degrees. And universities can now offer science degrees at a fraction of a cost because they don't have to bear the cost of having and hosting an actual physical science lab. And during the pandemic, Labster was able to partner with about 115 colleges across California, which is 2.1 million students, so that students could continue their training in the, even in the absence of actual labs and finish science degrees, which obviously in the midst of a pandemic, a science degree was extremely important. And so that's just one example, but I really love sort of how that innovation is happening right now. And that bridge between higher education institutions and employment or workforce is getting bridged. That's great. I love that example. Let me ask you this. Is there a common misconception about education and workforce development? How many can I name? (laughs) So I think the first, I I just touched upon this, but the first for me is for the longest time, education was a pathway to joining the workforce. Uh, And so in many ways, education was a one-time investment in your career. But today, when it's an accepted fact that around four in 10 workers will need reskilling within six months or less, and more than 90% of companies expect employees to pick up new skills on the job, it's clear that education and workforce development are not only interwoven, but education is both ongoing and imperative to remain relevant in the workforce. And I'm not sure that everyone has fully internalized that we're just going to have to keep learning to keep growing. And it's not separated anymore. So I think for me, that's one. And the second one is there is somewhat a narrow lens to what education in the context of workforce development can be today. 
So conversations around upskilling and reskilling as a response to this ever-widening skills gaps is perhaps the most understood. And I think it's something that we're taking incremental steps forward with. But we tend to leave out education that comes in the form of soft skills development, like people management, communication, strategic thinking, as well as the growing focus on mental health and wellness from the definition of what education in the workforce could look like. And personally, I think the pandemic has brought both soft skills development and mental wellness to the forefront, given the hybrid and remote nature of work, as well as the mental toll that the pandemic has taken on children and adults alike. And we certainly have a growing portfolio of companies in this space, uh, from Hazel Health that brings telemedicine to schools in the K-12 space, but also a company like Thrive Global, uh, founded by Ariana Huffington, that is focused on employee productivity and burnout. Or companies like Real and Robot Health that are direct to consumer solutions in the space of mental wellness. Because everyone is kind of seeking out more of these solutions and it's becoming integral to being a productive employee in the workspace. And I really hope this rise in startups in the space is a signal for us to start looking at employees more holistically so that there's an equal investment in career pathways as well as social emotional well-being in the workplace. And I think those for me are probably the two biggest Misconceptions are just not as understood kind of notions about education and workforce development. What an eye-opening, expansive view of this space that you've just given us. Malvika Bagwat, Partner and Head of Outcomes at Al Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us on Venture Capital. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Now, before we leave you, here's another fun fact. Did you know that there's only one U.S. president who's buried in Washington, D.C.? It's true. It's Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, is entombed at the Washington Cathedral. Again, thank you for listening to Venture Capital, a podcast brought to you by NVCA. Hope you enjoyed the show because investing in tomorrow starts with smart policies today. I'm your host, Bobby Franklin, wishing good days ahead. Bye for now.